Good morning, church. God bless you guys for coming out for the first beautiful spring day that we've had. Good to see some familiar faces and some newer faces. Great to be with you all this morning. Let me encourage you, ladies and men, um, to begin now praying for this ladies' retreat, if you haven't already. This is uh, by far the largest that they've had. Um, The Lord has provided. I know it's an expense to many of you, but the Lord has provided um, to discount that rate. And uh, we're just praying for a huge blessing for our ladies. So be praying for the speakers, praying for the preparations and, and all that, and that you would hear from the Lord. So this morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me. And I'm going to begin by reading part of our passage. I'm going to read it in a different translation than what I normally use. It's the uh, ESV or the English Standard Version, because I think it may make it a little bit easier for us to understand the first part. I know this is a translation that many of you use Anyways, I think it's a good one. For the most part, any translation, any of the um, common translations that you're going to read, I think are good ones. Um, There are translations I think are better than other ones, depending upon what you're using them for. The New King James that we use here that I teach out of is uh, considered a literal translation or a formal equivalent, as is the New American Standard. New American Standard may be actually a little more Literal, both are excellent translations. Uh, they do come from a different set of original writings. And then you've got versions like the New Living Translation. Um, sometimes I read from that. That's more of a thought-for-thought translation. Like I, I've got to make this chunk sound like that chunk and try to capture the, the meaning of it. Certainly good to read a Bible like that devotionally. Um, the ESV is what they call a essentially literal, former, formal, equivalent translation. So, anyways, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, But Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge to the glory of God in the face of Christ, of Jesus Christ. There you go. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, because it's what I want to pray about, would you consider that maybe the Lord had greater plans for today than you did? Whatever brought you to church this morning, whether it was just routine, this is what your family does, or somebody invited you, or um, 
it's, you know, the fifth Sunday and you usually come every five Sundays or whatever it may be, then maybe God wanted to speak to you about some things in your life today. Maybe God wanted to change some things in your life today. Let's, let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for intervening in all of our lives to bring us to this place today. It's not normal or natural in this world anymore to, to come and gather and to sing songs and, and to read from the Bible and to talk about you. It's not common anymore. But Lord, you, you intervened in a different way in every single one of us today to get us here. And Lord, rather than it just be um, a wasted hour or a thing on our schedule, Lord, would you move powerfully today? As Brett prayed, Lord, when we, when we gather like this, there's, there's power in that that can be found in no other place. There's love that can be found in you that doesn't exist outside of you. And Lord, it's that love that brought us here today. So Lord, would you help clear our minds of everything else that's going on, the, the trials and the worries and stresses and distractions of this world. Lord, the weight of things outside of here that's pressing on us. Would you give us freedom from that, Lord? And allow our our ears to open and our hearts to soften to hear your voice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So both translations, um, both the ESV and the New King James, start out in chapter 4 with the word, therefore. And... Old James Vernon McGee, some of you guys remember him, some of you don't. He used to say, when there's a therefore, wherefore the therefore? Or, or what's it there for? You know, and in, in this case, for Paul, in verse 1, he writes, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. So what ministry is Paul talking about? That would be the one, if you were... With us last week, the one that he spent much of the last chapter talking about. He called us ministers of the new covenant. In verse 6 of chapter 3, he said, ministers of the Spirit of God, as opposed to the old covenant and the law of God. In verse 8, he said, ministers of righteousness. In verse 9, the ministry of beholding the glory of the Lord. In verse 18. And since the ministry of the Old Covenant had glory, he said, and the new one of the New Covenant so much more, Paul preached the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, crucified to pay the penalty of sin, and rose again on the third day. And alive today. Boldly at great cost, Paul preached, and without compromise, because it was a ministry that he received. Just as he had received mercy from God, he received this ministry from God. This ministry of God, from God, like all of us. So when things got tough for Paul, and 
People rejected the message when Paul was falsely accused, when times of suffering and persecution came. Paul didn't lose heart. Probably if there was a a ministry conference today with the title, How Not to Lose Heart, it would probably sell out. It would probably be standing room only. And Paul says there's a reason for that. And, And here's the solution. Recognize that the ministry that you have is not of you. And if it is of you, it's not a ministry of the Lord. But if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian here this morning, he's given you a ministry. And you can walk in the confidence of that great calling and not lose heart. In verse 2, he says, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but in the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says, we're not messing around with the word of God. We're not throwing out new revelations or hidden or clever interpretations that the Lord has only revealed to us. Like it's brand new. Peter tells us that there's no prophecy of Scripture that's of any private interpretation. That means God's not going to show me something in this passage that's never occurred to anyone before. We've seen ministries built off that today. Where Paul says that we're not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully. That word deceitfully, that's translated here in our Bibles, deceitfully, This is the only place in all of the New Testament that we find that word. And I find that interesting when we come across things like that. This is the only place. Paul was saying something specific. And there's another incident in this uh, chapter similar to that. But if you look up that word, some of you guys use Strong's Bible Dictionary and different tools. Strong's Dictionary tells us that it's translated from the Greek, um, daleo. And that word actually means to ensnare, to adulterate, to handle deceitfully. And Paul says we have nothing to do with that. Handling the word of God like that. Leaving things out. Or watering it down. Or softening the blow. Or trying to make it more appealing than the word itself. And Paul says we preach an honest gospel. We read what it says and we say what it says. We allow the word of God to do the work of God which it always will do. We read in Isaiah um, 55.11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Why would we change it? In verse 3 he says, But even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled. Let me try something else if that's not changing it. God bless you. Where were we? Verse 4? Verse 1? Come on. You guys with me? Verse, start, start over. Verse 3? Does that sound right? It's not working? Verse 3, please. 
But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So what does veiled mean? When you guys think of the word veiled or you hear that word, what does that mean? What? Hidden, covered up. Oh, man, I forgot something. Let me see what I can use. Okay. Remember last week in the homework? Self-dependent, one of the things was procrastination or lack of preparation. It's in my bag. I just forgot what I needed. So veil means hidden. Veil means covered up. Um, but it's not hidden to everybody. Right? When we read this verse, it says, it's veiled to those who are perishing. You guys remember all the way back to the first letter written to the Corinthians in the first chapter, in verse 18, Paul talks about something similar. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When Paul talks about the perishing in these verses, who's he talking about? The unsaved, right? The lost, the unbeliever. They are the ones to whom the gospel is veiled. In chapter 3, in verse 16, Paul says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the God of this earth blinds those who are perishing, but nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So Last week we talked about when we were witnessing to friends or we're witnessing to family members or coworkers or or people that we know that don't believe, we should pray for them. Pray for them constantly. Ask Jesus to take away their blindness, to open their eyes, and then share the gospel with them and continue to pray. But what if what if you're one of the ones that are perishing? What if your mind has been blinded or you're you're watching online and, and you've been blinded to the gospel. Then according to the scriptures, believe. Place your faith in Jesus and believe, the verse says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So turn to the Lord. Paul goes on talking about those that are blinded more in, in the next verse, in verse 4, whose minds, again, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So here's another one-timer for the whole New Testament. Nowhere else in the Bible is Satan called the God of this age. He's called the, the ruler of the world, the prince of the power of the air. But nowhere else is he called the God of this age. That in no way means that Satan is more powerful than God. We know how the book ends. In fact, the Bible tells us that all of creation belongs to the Lord. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that's in it. Psalm 24, the first verse. Psalm 24, verse 1. says, The earth is the Lord's, in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. But see, when we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and I know we're bouncing around some today, 
instead of being in our chapter, but bear with me a little bit. Um, We know that in the beginning, the very first verse says God created the heavens and the earth. And then God created us in his image. And in verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he says some important things. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And, and God did that, and God blessed us. Skip down to verse 28. It says, and God blessed us, and then he said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed and which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Every beast of the earth, he says, every bird of the air, every creeping thing, all these things I've given to you. And man chose sin. And he rebelled against God. Not just in the Old Testament. When we turn to the, to the back of the book, in the New Testament, um, when Jesus came, he said that light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So Paul says that Satan is the god of this age. Because man's chosen him by popular election. And if we've learned anything in the last several years, elections have consequences, right? I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. It matters. In this case, they they choose not to believe, and therefore, the Bible says, are blind to the light of the gospel. It amazes me how intelligent some people are about some things. Have you guys ever been in a conversation with someone and you realize that either they are way smarter than you are or at least they're in a totally different league when it comes to that particular topic that they're talking about. And you can, you can feel yourself starting to glaze over. I'm assuming that's what happens to some of you here. But you're talking to them and you realize this person I'm talking to is brilliant or or they're at least on a different level than I am. You know, they're brilliant, I'm not. Maybe that only happens to me, I don't know. But you think intellectually they're out of my league. But then, and I don't know if you've ever tried this, personally this is my go-to in that situation, begin talking about things of the Lord. And then all of a sudden that teeter-totter flops to the other side. Blind when it comes to things of the Lord. And not just untaught or, or uneducated, but completely out in left field. Their denials of truth don't even make sense. And their arguments against it are just bizarre. They've been blinded by the God of this world. You, you, you look at them and you wonder how that can be the same person, to have this level of intellect and have ignorance when it comes to the things of God. And, and you realize that they're blind. 
Yet the truth is still the truth, even if they're blind to it. It's pretty bright in this room. This is what I forgot. Let me see. Who's is this? Oh, good. Okay. Oh, I can squeeze into it. All right. It's bright in this room, correct? Okay. I should have brought my prop. If I blind myself to the light in this room, and don't, don't anybody get up or don't anybody throw anything. I've given security strict orders to hurt you. If, no, I haven't, but I kind of just did, right? If I blind myself to the light in here, does it, just because I can't see it, does it make it any less true? My hearing's supposed to be improved if I can't see, right? Does it take away the light just because I can't see it? See, it's, it's refusal to believe that makes you blind, according to the Scripture. It's, it's your resistance to belief, your refusal to believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. If you can't see the truth, you've allowed the God of this world to blind you. So stop it. Satan can't blind those that see the light. Again, refusal to believe is what blinds you. He can't blind those that believe. There's another way, um, and, and I think a more prevalent way, talking to people that don't believe. I think there's a more common way that Satan blinds today, more subtle than a refusal to believe. And it's, it's not being an atheist or, or being an agnostic, you know, one that just says, I, I don't know, but it's being apathetic, not caring enough to even think about it. Our minds are so overloaded with stimuli in this world that we live in that in our rare moments of quiet, we don't want to think. We don't want to think about anything. Certainly not life and death or heaven and hell or life after. We just want to veg. want to scroll through social media and let someone else think for us. Or stream a show that's not hard, not challenging, something to entertain that won't provoke. Just chill and not think. Satan doesn't have to blind us to the truth if he can just distract us from even considering it. That's why the Word of God is so powerful. It provokes thought. It reveals truth that we have to deal with. It engages our minds that Satan is attempting to blind. So let's keep going. Verse 5, please. Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants, for Jesus' sake, 
For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. That's what these lights do, is they displace darkness. It's the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who was shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says, it's all about Jesus. It's not about us. We don't preach ourselves. The church today would be far better off if preachers didn't preach themselves. Didn't make themselves the the hero of every story or the one that somehow gets elevated week after week. And all this can apply more than to just a man or, or a preacher. It can apply to a church. That we would elevate a church over another so many think, oh, if, if people are just attracted to the personality initially or to the place, the style of the man or whatever's going on, once they're coming, once they're here, once they're attracted to that, once they're hooked, then they'll hear about Jesus. But gang, Paul says if, if we preach ourselves and that's what they're attracted to, or even as we share our, our, our own faith, if we're preaching ourselves, then Jesus will always just be a distraction for them. And they'll remain blind to the light of the gospel. D.A. Carson said that the gospel ministry demands unqualified integrity. And I think this means keeping the good news about the only one that was ever good. Verse 7 it says, but we have this treasure, ladies. You should remember this verse for your retreat. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not in us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus must, must also, may also be manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, he says, but life in you. Paul compares us to earthen vessels. Today our coffee mugs and our tea mugs are a little fancier than they were back then because they've got paint and glaze and, and all of that. But earthen vessels, their, their cups and their bowls, were just made of clay. They all look like uh, terracotta pots that you might put a plant in. And Paul says this glorious gospel, this, this thing that's powerful that Brett was talking about, this magnificent news about Jesus this ministry of mercy that we've been given, it's, it's in plain old us, jars of clay, earthen vessels. And who puts a, such a magnificent thing in an earthen vessel? God does. That's, that's his plan. That's, that's plan A. He puts his treasure in us so that it's so blatantly obvious that the excellence of power is of God and not of us. 
And anyone that would look at us and think otherwise is a crackpot or cracked pot, earthen vessel. Paul says we're, we're hard-pressed, we're under pressure, is what he's saying, but we're not crushed. Not in despair, not destroyed, because we're dependent upon Jesus, not us. But there's a cost, Paul says. He warns us. If we gathered in a room like this 150 years ago, we wouldn't have these bright lights. Right? The room would be illuminated by candles or by oil lamps. Things that give off light by consuming themselves. We can continue to give, continue to serve, because there's this treasure within us that God continues to replenish over and over and over again. He's the well that never runs dry. Verse 13 says, And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. Isn't it so much easier to, to share something? That's what, I could never be a car salesman and say, oh, this is the best that's ever come off the line. But Paul says, I, I believed. This is real. This is truth. And therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up and will present us with you. Paul believed what he preached. And he knew that every threat, every trial, every bit of his suffering had purpose. It was for the glory of God. It was not for nothing. If we were to lose our lives for the sake of the gospel, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us up. And Paul knew that. Life is but a vapor and then eternity. And there's this treasure inside these earthen vessels, these, these bodies, these tents that are temporary. And when death comes to us, Christian, we have life in him, in heaven. And Paul knows that the, the trials and the suffering that he has endured wasn't just to make him more like Jesus. We talked about being transformed last week, that there was a purpose bigger than that. He says, but it was actually for others. Verse 15, he says, for all things are for your sakes. Paul's, Paul's telling us kind of the real purpose of ministry, this ministry that, that we have. For all things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Far too often we look at our own goals, our own ideas. We get proud, or, or when they fail, we get discouraged because we forget that it isn't about us. We've been given this ministry that the gospel would spread, that the world would hear this good news. We have this treasure inside of us to share, causing thanksgiving and the glory of God. And that's what it's all about. That's what we're supposed to be all about. In verse 16, he wraps it up. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, some of us realize that more than others, 
After you're 40, you start getting nickeled and dimed to death. Your body starts making different noises when you do different things. But Paul says, even though this outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, and if you know about Paul's story, what an amazing heart, that that's how he would describe his life. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, what a powerful perspective, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, that's so hard not to do. The trials, the hurdles, the obstacles right in front of us. Paul says, while we don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen, the stuff that we're going through is temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Last week, again, we talked about being transformed. We talked about being self-sufficient or self-reliant as opposed to being God-reliant. And how not overnight, but over time, we're being transformed to be more and more like Jesus, that the people around us should be able to begin to see the image of Jesus Christ in us. In chapter 4, Paul's saying, I know it's hard, but don't lose heart. This is not a, a ministry or a mission of your own. That would be too little and far from worth it. This is a ministry that you, Christian, have received from God. It's a thing of power, and that's huge. It's not a ministry of failure, but it's often one of fatigue. But Paul says, don't, don't lose heart. Even though our outward man or this earthen vessel, as he calls it, is perishing, we're being renewed day by day. Even though we're perishing, even though this is killing us, he says, our light affliction is but for a moment and well worth it as it's working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Again, last week, talked about being transformed and and today Paul's saying in that we're being renewed. But his focus, if you look at this, his focus is not on him. It's not on his trial. It's not on his sufferings. It's not on him at all. Look again at this at this last verse. Because Paul tells us everything about his perspective. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul has an eternal perspective. He's going to heaven, and he knows it. We're going to heaven, Christian. Where's your focus? How's your perspective? Are you looking at the things that are seen? The temporary? Or are you looking toward forever, the things that are yet to come? The answer to that question determines whether we're dying in earth and vessels or being renewed for the future glory that awaits us 
as our lives are, are now laid down for this ministry that we've been giving, causing thanksgiving, and those who, whose blindness is removed and in the glory that is given to God. Jesus is coming again. This ministry belongs to all of us. One last verse, and I'll close with this. Acts 20, 24. This, this should be our life verse, if you're looking for one. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the finishing, the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Let's pray. Father, you've given us a, a mission and a ministry as, as we read here in your word. And Lord, most of us have never really considered that as we go about our daily tasks or our jobs or school or interactions with others that, that you've called us to be in ministry. No matter where we punch in or make our living or our, our calling is to reveal truth to those that the God of this age has blinded because they don't believe. So Lord, we do pray that you'd make us mindful of this this week, that we wouldn't be able to get away from it, Lord, that, that fear or intimidation would be gone, Lord, as we realize that this, this ministry that you've given us is from you and it's powerful, it's life-changing, and that your word won't return void. If we just share it, if we just say what you say, if we just read from the book, you'll change lives forever. Help us be obedient to what you've called us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I'm done, but if hearing that, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, your heart was beaten, or whatever, and you know that you have been blinded from the God of this age, and and I think somewhere in there I said, stop it. To believe. And that veil will be removed. If you're interested in doing that and you want to pray with somebody, I'll be down front. There'll be pastors and elders down front. More than happy to do that with you. God bless you guys.